All right, take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to use this as a springboard text this morning and then look at a bunch of other scriptures. But let's begin in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is, uh, we come into the life of David before David is made king. Saul is still the king over Israel. And uh, he has chased him around the wilderness. He has, uh, David now has made an abode with the Philistines. And uh, he uh, feigned to be their friend, and they gave him, they gave him uh, safety. And they were getting ready to go on out and, and fight against Israel. And they asked David to come with him. He was kind of between a rock and a hard place. But some of the men had a problem with that. And so they, they said, listen, we really don't trust he and his men coming along. So we'd appreciate it if you send them back. So the captain told them to, to go ahead and to return. And, uh, and they did. They turned around. They went back. When they went back, they went back to Ziklag where their wives and families were. And Ziklag was burned and their families were taken captive. That's where we come into the story in, uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1. Let's all stand together if you would. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, allow them to look on with you. Beginning in verse 1 down to verse 6 says, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag, uh, and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the, and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. You ever done that? You ever cried so much that the, the tears just dried up? You didn't have anything left, left to cry. Verse 5 says, and, and David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, Lord, uh, every one of us has gone through discouraging times. Every one of us has gone through times when uh, think we were we were down. The circumstances did not look good. It, it it's good for us to know what in the world would motivate us to continue in a situation like that. Uh, Lord, there was something that motivated David, and uh, because of that motivation, he was able to encourage himself in you. We ask God that you might bless this time together in your Word, and may the Word of God speak to our hearts. May, may uh, the, the book be an encouragement, be a help, and uh, help us, God, to, to be built up and be strong for you. Uh, stronger this morning when we leave than when we came in because of what we heard and what we responded to in your word for us. In Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. David was... <laughs> literally between a rock and a hard place. Actually, he was between a bunch of stones and a hard place because they were getting ready to stone him. And uh, it says that, that in spite of all of that, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, how did he do that? We don't know. It doesn't, doesn't go into detail how he did that. But I do know this. There was nothing outwardly that encouraged him. There wasn't anything outwardly that motivated him. There was nothing outwardly that moved him. Now, I say that. Obviously, he was motivated and moved by the fact that he was about to be stoned. But as far as the encouragement goes, that did not come from without. That had to come from within, and that had to already be there. There already had to be some attitudes, and there already had to be some, some, uh, some, some things going on in David's heart so that he could, he could uh, uh, encourage himself in the Lord. We need to be very, very careful 
as, as people, it's, it's easy to allow programs and personalities and uh, pressure and pleas and predicaments and provocations and all those things to be our motivation for serving God. The truth of the matter is we ought to be motivated to serve God every day regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on on the outside because of the right attitudes that we have on the inside. And the title of my message this morning is just simply this, What Moves You? What moves you? Not just physically, but on the inside, what moves you, what motivates you to serve the Lord and to do that which God would have you to do? We're going to look at, at several, several things that ought to be inward motivations that ought to be constantly in play that, uh, that, will, that God can use in order to, to get us to serve Him and to live for Him. Look with me in, in Acts chapter 8 to begin with. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we have the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And the thing that, in fact, I was just reading this in my devotions this week, and, and uh, I, I'm constantly amazed. Philip was in an, another city. He was in a, a metropolitan area. He was seeing people healed. He was seeing miracles of God. He was seeing people saved all over the place. And in the middle of all of that, God told him, I want you to leave. And I want you to go to a desert. Well, that, that really doesn't look like a promotion, does it? That kind of looks like a little bit of a demotion. Uh, you're going from a, a big city and a revival that's going on, and now God says, no, I want you to instead uh, go to, to a desert. But it had nothing to do with being pr promoted or demoted or anything like that. It had to do with just following God's will. And you look with me in Acts chapter 8, look down in verses uh, 26 through 29. Acts chapter, i got to find the right, right chapter here. Acts chapter 8, and verses 26 down through 29. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose, and went, and behold, the man of Ethiopia, and the eunuch, of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. First, first motivation that we ought to have internally, what ought to move us, is the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God to do something specific. The Bible says when we get saved that every person who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior has the Holy Spirit of God on the inside. And what that means is you have a person living inside your body. The Bible says that uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there are times when, when His Spirit will prompt you. If you've been saved for any, any length of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's times that He has prompted you, maybe woken you up in the middle of the night and prompted you to pray. There's times when He has prompted you to pass out a track or to give a verbal witness or to go approach somebody about Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God did to Philip. He, he, he uh, saw the, the Ethiopian, he saw him in, in the chariot, and he prompted him and told him to go join himself to that man in the chariot. Well, when he did, he, when he got there, he found out he was reading a book of Isaiah, a portion of the book of Isaiah, had just come from Jerusalem. My guess is he probably got that scripture portion from Jerusalem, and he was reading it. It happened to be Isaiah chapter 53 which is a, a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And uh, he, he, he asked him if he understood what he read, and he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And so what he did was he got in the chariot and he began to tell him about Jesus Christ. He preached Christ to him from Isaiah 53. And when he got all done, the, the, uh, the, the eunuch said, See here is water what doth hinder me to be baptized. And he said, If thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest. 
And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They got down uh, because he trusted Christ as Savior. They got down out of the chariot. He baptized them, and he went on his way. But understand this, that, that uh, the reason I believe why Philip was warm to the prompting of the, of the Spirit of God is because he was already busy doing something for God. Uh, you, you look back, in, uh, in fact, in Acts chapter 8, look, just look with me in verses 5 through 8. In verse 5 it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, uh, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed." He saw people saved, he saw people healed, he saw miracles uh, happen, but it's because he was involved, because he was already doing something. And God speaks to those, and he works in the lives of those who are willing to work for him. And, uh, but when, when he does, my question to you is this, do you listen to those promptings? Do you, do you, are you already busy in the work of God? So if God were to tap you on the shoulder and say, listen, I'd like you to do this or I'd like you to do that or I'd like you to stop this or I'd like you to start that, whatever it might be, are you sensitive to the Spirit of God? One of the reasons why we always have an invitation on Sunday morning and on Sunday night is because when we hear the Word of God preached, the, the whole purpose, and I was taught this real early in my ministry, that uh, the whole purpose of preaching is to bring people to a point of decision. Teaching is just giving out facts and information, but preaching brings people to a point of decision. And sometimes teaching does that too, but preaching, the whole purpose of it is to do that. When God speaks to your heart, we need to move immediately. And that, that, ought, that ought to be a, a, a habit that we develop in our, in our hearts and lives. When God speaks to our heart, we respond because it's the Holy Spirit of God who's doing that. So the first motivation that we're looking at here is the, the motivation of the promptings of the Lord to do something specific. Take your Bibles and turn with me now to, to Jeremiah chapter 20. And I put these two together because they do go hand in hand. You've, uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, you've heard me say in prayers almost every week uh, before I preach, Lord, uh, if you speak to us, we'll respond as we hear the word of God. Uh, that, that really is a desire that I have. I trust that's a desire that you have because the word of God and the spirit of God always work together. And God, God's Spirit takes God's Word and works it in our hearts and, and, and speaks to our hearts. You're not going to hear an audible voice, but you're going to, you're going to experience promptings and you're going to many times get those promptings from the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be a motivator in our lives. And in, in the life of Jeremiah, that was the case. Now understand what we're about to read. For me, it's... <laughs> You say, man, this is kind of a, a, at first, it's kind of a depressing passage of Scripture because Jeremiah is throwing up his hands and getting ready to quit. But the truth of the matter is, reality is, we've all been there. Uh, all of us have been to a point where we, we felt like we're at the end of our rope and we just want to throw up our hands and quit. And, 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 and yet, uh, God continues to work in us and God continues to work through us. And I'm thankful for his faithfulness. Uh, that's exactly what happened here, and he used the word of God to motivate Jeremiah. Now, understand who Jeremiah was. He was a, a preacher that was given a task and given a ministry that nobody responded to. I mean, show me in the book of Jeremiah one single convert that the man had. I, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was scorned. In public, in the streets, he'd go out and he'd street preach, and 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 uh, uh, the the uh, the other religious folks and other people of the town would come out and mock him. He was he was never taken seriously, and 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 yet he was given this ministry. God God gave him a ministry to give Israel another chance to repent, 
and, and to, to turn to God. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, we see this frustration. Look down at verse 7. It says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Now, really, he wasn't deceived because God told him in chapter 1 not to be afraid of their faces because they were not going to respond to him. So he really wasn't. But in his own mind, I'm sure he thought he was because he thought that there would be results for ministry. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. And that's not, a, that's not an exaggeration. Everyone mocked him. He was not, he was not uh, received at all. Verse 8 says, For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Now, at this point, he just said, I quit. <laughs> Here's my resignation. I, I am done. I am discouraged. I feel like I've, like I've been deceived, and, uh, and I am distracted from what, what uh, I'm supposed to be doing. He said, I'm done. I'm, I'm just... You, you, have you ever felt like... Uh, kind of like a guy that uh, uh, is beating his head up against a concrete wall, and when he stops beating it, it just feels good because he quit. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's what Jeremiah was feeling like. He's saying, listen, I'm beating my head up against a wall. If I just quit, I won't feel that pain anymore. And so th that's why he decides that he's just going to quit. He's not going to speak in his name anymore. Now look at the last part of verse 9. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. It's, it says that the word of God worked inside of Jeremiah and caused him such that he could not resign, he could not quit. Um, the word ought to, the word of God ought to be a burning in our hearts, and and Jeremiah's life was con, was consumed in spreading the word of God, and he was he, he spent time in his word. Uh, it should be hard for us to fight, and it was hard for him to fight. Uh, you know, and I, I believe one of the reasons why it was so hard for him to fight is because up until this point he had said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Uh, you know, whenever God called him to do something, he was, he was there and willing to do it. And in our lives, the Word of God should always prevail. You see something in the book, and it's contrary to what you think or contrary to what you're doing. You ought to be willing to make the change because of it. Jeremiah, understand, had no person to encourage him. You know, he had nobody to put his arm around him and say, hey, brother, let's go pray together. I mean, there was, there was nobody like that. What, what if you had no church? What if you had no friends? What if you had no family? And, and I'll go one step further. What if you had no Bible? I mean, he had scriptures, but he did not have what we have today. We have the entire, complete Word of God. We've got it all from beginning to end. And so we can get, all we have to do is open up the book and we can get encouragement. He didn't, he didn't have that kind of encouragement. He had no literature, he had no biographies. He, he did not have the, the luxury of listening to recorded messages from other people. He didn't have any of those things. Yet he continued. And in, in chapter 20, look down in verses 10 through 13. It says, For I, had the, uh, I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side, report say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for my halting, saying, Peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge. I mean, they were just like vultures, just waiting for him to trip and fall. But the Lord is with me as a, as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, that triest the, the, the righteous and seest the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord, praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand 
of evildoers. Now that sounds a whole lot different than the beginning of verse 9, where he says, I will not speak anymore. But the reason why was he allowed the word of God to do a work in his heart. It's so important for us to be responsive to the word of God. And it ought to be God's word and what he, what he tells us, what he encourages us with, the commands that he gives to us, uh, those things that are found therein ought to be the motivator. You might not have a whole lot of outward motivation, but you can have inward motivation through the, the promises and the precepts and the principles that you find in the Word of God. Another thing that ought to be a, a motivator, that ought to move us, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20, and this is the, the, the uh, account of the Apostle Paul getting ready to leave Ephesus, and uh, the people at Ephesus, he's speaking to particularly the elders. And in Acts chapter 20, look, in, look with me, if you would, in verse, um, verse 22. Verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 20, excuse me, verse 17. Verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came unto Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. And now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you, and have taught you publicly and from house to house." testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel to the grace of uh, uh, the gospel of the grace of God, and now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the God, all the counsel of God. Now. Now, to say that, that uh, the Apostle Paul did not have problems would be absolutely ludicrous. He had all kinds of problems. He had all kinds of difficulties. He had all kinds of opposition. What was it that kept him going? I think the key is found in verses 22 and through 24. He, he says that he was uh, bound, go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, uh, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying the bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me. None of those things moved him. Why did none of those things move him? Well, he continues and he says, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He's saying that, listen, I have a duty. I have a responsibility. I have a calling of God on my life. And so therefore he wasn't moved by the outward. He wasn't moved by the bonds. Were, was he opposed and was he constricted? Absolutely. He had bonds. He had afflictions. Uh, he, he had been beaten. He had been, been imprisoned. And yet none of those things moved him. Why? Because his duty to God was greater to him in his heart than the afflictions and the bonds and the problems that came away. He didn't let difficulty slow him down. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians 3. And in 1 Thessalonians 3, look in verses 1 through 5. It says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. This is Paul speaking. 
and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we were appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And ye know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. He said, listen, we're called to this kind of suffering. We're called to trouble. Anytime you go to serve God, anytime you go to fulfill your duty in Christ, you're going to get opposed. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be things that you're going to have to, have to overcome. And, uh, but the thing that needs to be first and foremost in your, in your heart and mind is what God has called you to do. He was motivated by his sense of duty. He had a job to do. He knew what it was. And he, he, he knew that he, he had an obligation before God to, to perform it. And in, uh, uh, in, in, I believe it's either First or Second Timothy, he says, he says, I have fought a good fight. He said, I have finished my course. And then he said, I have kept the faith. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. He didn't say the course. He said, my course. What's he referring to? He's referring to his duty. He's referring to the calling that God had upon his life. By the way, you know, we look at that and we say, well, that was the Apostle Paul. He had a grand, glorious calling. Listen, no different than what God has called you to do from this standpoint. God has, God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Are you going to be able to say at the end of your life, I fought a good fight, I finished my course. I know what it is that God has called me to do. I know what I should have been doing in my life. And up until this point, I have, I have done what God has called me to do, and therefore I have finished my course. What is it that God wants you to do? And find out what it is, and then let that be the duty that motivates you. All of us have duties to God. We all have duties to to read the Word of God. We all have duties to pray. We all have duties to be a witness and a soul, and a soul winner. We all, have, uh, we all have the duty of uh, being responsible, whatever our position might be in our families. And uh, we have duties within the church that God would have us to do. And each person is different. You need to find out what it is so that that duty can be a motivator to you. One of the things that, that is frustrating to me about this generation, just period, saved or lost today, that I see coming up, is that there's no sense of duty. No sense of duty. If I don't feel like going to work, I won't go to work. Why? Well, because I just don't feel like it. I don't want to. That's not the attitude that the Apostle Paul had. He said, look it. He said, he said I'm, I'm going to fight when I need to fight. I'm going to finish what God has called me to do, and I'm going to keep the faith. I'm not going to waver in my faith with God. But all of that was wrapped up in the idea of duty. Duty was a motivator. You know, you look back at what we started with with, uh, with David. You think maybe the picture of his wife in his own heart and mind, is both of his wives actually he had two wives, uh, do you think the picture of his wife, uh, of his wives, came to his mind? Do you think his children came came to his mind? Do you think the the, the wives and children of of the uh, uh, men that were about to stone him? Do you think that came into his heart and mind? I, I I'm convinced that one of the things that probably motivated David to not give up and not quit and not capitulate in the whole thing. And, and that encouraged him is that he knew he had some duties before God, and those duties motivated him to continue. Another thing that ought to motivate us, go to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to look at three different instances in the, in the life of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 1. And in, in Mark 1, look down verse 41 and 42. Mark chapter 1, verse 41 and 42, it says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, 
and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy uh, departed from him, and he was cleansed. This is a man that came to Jesus. He had leprosy. He needed to be healed. He knew that Jesus could heal him, and he asked him to do so. And the Bible says he was moved with compassion. Compassion is something that, that needs to, we need to have compassion for others, and that ought to be a motivator to move us to, to, uh, to, to do the things that God has called us to do. Uh, many, you know, if, if you're not careful, you're going to be motivated by some emotion. You could be motivated by frustration, which is what's, what started with Jeremiah. And, uh, and the Word of God got in there and burned in his bones, and he, he could not stay. But, uh, but he was frustrated. You might be motivated by anger. Those are bad things to be motivated by. But being motivated by a compassion is a good thing. Having, having a compassionate heart for the, the needs and the, and the, the uh, uh, necessities of others. Uh, look with me in Mark chapter 6. Here's another one. Mark chapter 6. And again, all three of these are in the life of Christ. Mark chapter 6 down in verse 34. It says, And Jesus, when he, went, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. It says that he was, he was moved to compa- to, to, uh, by compassion, and because of that, that compassion, he started to teach them some things. He saw what they lacked, and he saw what they needed, and that compassion drove him to teach them. Go over to M- Matthew chapter 9, if you would. Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew 9, look at verses 36 down through 38. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his, his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers unto his harvest. How is your heart toward others? When you see some, somebody else hurting, do you hurt? When you see somebody else have a need, do you have a desire to help them meet that need? The Bible says over and over again that Jesus was moved, but he was moved by compassion because he had a heart for others. Aren't you glad he's got compassion for you? <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the sinless Savior who never did anything wrong. He looks down at us and we're such a mess and we're, 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 I'm sure, uh, we're a frustration to God at times. And yet he is often moved with compassion in our lives. And we ought to have that same kind of compassion toward others because we have, we have experienced that compassion over and over again from God. Another thing that ought to move us, if, if, take, take, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. This is the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. And look down in verse Look down in verse 7. Hebrews 11:7. Hebrews 11:7 says by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his, of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. And again, Noah, Noah was a man who all he had was he and his family. That was it. He got no outside encouragement at all. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. Uh, it, their wickedness had, was abounding. In fact, the Bible says that as it was in the days of Noah, so, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, and we're, we're starting to see that. that if, if you're not careful, boy, you look at that stuff, and that stuff will discourage you. You look at all the sin, and you look at where our country's going, and that stuff will get you down. But you know what? He was motivated to build that ark. And again, it took him many, many years to do it. It was just he and his family to do it. Maybe, maybe he hired out some of it. We don't know. But, uh, but we know this, that he got no encouragement from others. Nobody. 
So what was it that motivated him to build that ark? The Bible says fear. He knew the rain was coming. He knew the rain was coming. He knew the judgment was coming. And that, that fear motivated him. Noah was, was moved by fear because of coming judgment. And understand, he had no consistent example. He had no continuing instruction. He had, he had no evidence of a coming judgment. None of that stuff was there. He had nobody to, 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 to instruct him and to help him along the way. He had, he had nobody else to look to outside of his own family to be an example to look up to. He had none of that. But you know what? He really believed that judgment was coming. And because he knew the judgment was coming, he was moved by fear. He was moved by the fear of God. He was moved not only by the fear of God, but he was afraid for others. He knew if he didn't build that boat, not only would he lose his own life, but his whole family would perish. And so because he had compassion, I'm sure, and he had a sense of duty, I'm sure, he also had, he also had a fear, and a fear of, of coming judgment. And we ought to be moved by those things. We ought to be moved by a fear of God. The um, Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, one of the things that sometimes I think really starts to, to, to lower in our own hearts in estimation is how, 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 yes, should we love God? Absolutely. But we really ought to fear God. And that, that's the foundation uh, why did I get saved? Why did I trust Christ as Savior? Why did I repent and believe on Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. I didn't want to go to hell. I was scared to death. I'm just scared to death of going to hell. Man, I'm glad I had some fear in me. You, you talk to some people today about, uh, about fear, and that was true back then too. You talk to them about hell, and they laugh at you. They say, well, you know... I want to go to hell. Ha, 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 ha. I can spend all my time with my friends. Ha, 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 ha. There's no fear there. I'm thankful I had a little fear in me. And that fear drove me to Jesus Christ. A fear can be a good thing. We, we, ought, to, we ought to have a fear of God and therefore do right. We ought to have a fear of coming judgment, not, not on ourselves, on others. I mean, others are going to die and go to hell for all eternity if they don't repent and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. They don't believe on him. Uh, you know, and, and we talked about this in the Sunday school class. Um, we're supposed to be looking for the blessed hope. And for us, that is a blessed hope. I mean, there's going to come a day, and I hope it's in my lifetime, when Jesus Christ comes back for his own. And according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, he's going he's to first take, those, take the bodies of those that had gone before us and then he's going to physically bring us up. He's going to take us out of this body, give us a new body, and we're going to ever be with the Lord. That's exciting for us. But can I tell you something? There's going to be some people left behind. There's some folks left behind that you know. There's some folks that are going to be... I mean, if the, if the rapture took place before the end of this church service, and I don't have anybody in mind when I say this, but there is a good possibility that somebody sitting out here would not go up because you've never really trusted Christ as Savior. There is more than a possibility that many of your loved ones and the people that you work with and, and folks, folks within your family and friends that you have, neighbors that you have, would not go, therefore they go through the tribulation period. Doesn't that, doesn't that bother you? Doesn't that put a little bit of fear in your heart and mind? It ought to. It ought to. It's not only fear for the, of, the, of the Lord, but it's also a fear of coming judgment on others. And then a, a fear of, I believe Noah had this fear of disobedience. He didn't want to disobey his God because if he disobeyed his God, is God would not have been pleased with him. And so fear is a, is a motivator. But can I tell you, fear alone is not sufficient. You've got to have some other things with it. And the next thing that we're going to talk about, you need to have. But I want to show you something. This is a, a verse of Scripture that really stymied me the first time I, I read it. Go to Second uh, Kings chapter 17. This thing, this thing at first was a real head-scratcher to me. 
1 Kings 17. Put one finger in 1 Kings 17 and put another finger in Deuteronomy 10. 1 Kings 17 and then Deuteronomy 10. And in 1 Kings 17, look down at verses 32 and 33. I'm sorry, 2 Kings. 2 Kings, chapter 17. The more scriptures I have in a message, the more possibility of mistakes. Amen? <laughs> that's just a, that's a hazard. Verses 32 and 33, 2 Kings chapter 17 says, So they feared the Lord. Well, you just stop right there. You say, wow, that's good. Man, praise the Lord. They feared Him. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit of God telling us that. Okay? So you don't have to, it's not in question. All right? It says, so they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the house of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. Huh? <laughs> what? They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of, of the nations whom they carried away from thence. You say, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, I, I can't believe someone would fear the Lord and still serve idols. Really? Really? You haven't been paying attention in Auburn, New York. I, I know, I, I've knocked on doors of people that have had statues out in front of their house, and they've worshipped those, those statues, the ones that they have in the house. And if you were to ask them about fearing God, they'd say, yeah, I fear, I fear God. Fearing God all by itself, it's a start, but it's not enough. Now go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. This will be the next motivation, the next, next thing that ought to move us. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, look down at verse 12. And now, now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God? which is what those people did. But after that, they didn't do any of the rest of it. To walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy, uh, the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. He said, listen, I, want you, I not only want you to fear, fear me, but I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to love me. I want you to serve me. I want you to love me with all your heart. And that's the next thing that motivates uh, us, and it ought to be a great motivator for us, the love of God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I, I absolutely love this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 14 and 15, says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. It says, it says the love of Christ constraineth us. That just simply means the love of Christ motivates. The love of Christ moves. Does, does the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for you and the love that you have for Him? The Bible says we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. He loved us first. Is that the thing that, one of the things that keeps you going? I have to, I have to watch this thing. I, I think it's, it's, it's right at the top of the list from the standpoint that um, when Jesus gave the commandments... And he took all the commandments and, and kind of s summarized them. He said, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength, and the second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, what did it start with? Loving God. And loving God unconditionally, from our standpoint, loving Him. You hear a lot about unconditional love from God. How about unconditional love to God from you? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what happens, just because you, you continue to serve him, just because you love him. Uh, 
the, 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 the love of Christ causes us to love him back, and it motivates us to serve. We ought to have the fear of God, and I, I, I really believe with all my heart that fear of the Lord is a foundational thing for us. But fear without love will take us in the wrong direction. And it's so important for us to love God. How much this last week did you do just because you love the Lord? You know, honestly, there are times, and this wasn't one of them, but there are times when I come and I preach and, 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 and I, I do pastoral duties that I'm supposed to do, uh, not because I'm, I, I want to. I may feel terrible. That's uh, not the case today. But, but uh, there have been times I've done that. Uh, listen, if, you, if your love for God starts to slip, everything starts to slip. You won't be as diligent in your walk for Him. You won't be as diligent in your service for Him. You know, anybody can say that they love God. Let's see it. Let's see it. And uh, over and over again, I see in my own life, I have to watch and make sure that am I loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. And then the last thing that ought to, ought to motivate us, take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 14, and then I'm done. Numbers 14. Numbers 14, I want you to look with me down in verse 11. Numbers 14 and verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have shewed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. He's telling Moses, look, let's just start from scratch. Let's just kill them all. Let's just kill them all, just leave you and your family, and we'll go from there. Verse 13, And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it. For thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them. They were out in the desert at the time. And they come out of Egypt. In verse 14, And they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud and in a pillar of a fire by night. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he swear unto them, therefore he hath slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. He's saying, listen, you've been patient. You're known for patience. Don't stop now. If you do, your reputation is at stake. And that was a motivator for, for Moses. One of the things that moved Moses was he did not want to see God's reputation among the lost, let alone among the saved, um, among Israel, but he did not want to see God's reputation among the lost hindered. He was concerned about what other people would think about God. You know, we need to remember that folks are watching us all the time. Yesterday I was at a, I was at a, uh, uh, a wedding for uh, one of my nephews. And uh, he's in his early 40s. And uh, he had never been married. His, his now wife had never been married. And they got married. I, I went into that whole thing with a little bit of fear and trepidation because I, I knew it was a lost wedding and you, you never know what to expect. But, but we went and Pastor Jared and his family went as well. As far as I know, we were the only safe people our two families, we're the same people in the whole place. 
Um, one of the things I, I always ask the Lord before I go to something like that is, Lord, uh, help me to be a, a good witness and a good testimony. I don't want people to think less of my God because of me. God's reputation in your life is at stake. People look at you, and, and let's face it, uh, people cannot see visibly Jesus Christ anymore. But what, they, what he, they can see is his ambassadors. And that's what the Bible says we are. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And that ought to motivate us. We ought, we ought, we ought to do what we do or refrain from what we ought to refrain from because we don't want God to get a bad reputation because of us. All these things are motivators. How many of these things move you? God's promptings, God's word, the duty that God has for you. And all of us have it. All of us have a calling on our life. Uh, compassion, the, the, the fear of the Lord, the love of the Lord, and then the reputation of God. What is it, and do you get moved by those things? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we ask that you would move in our hearts right now and show us where we're lax in any of these seven areas that uh, we don't respond to them because they're not motivators in our lives. God, the truth of the matter is all of these things ought to motivate us. And if they're, if, if they're all in, 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 in action in our lives, uh, God... Uh, we're going to be moved. We're going to be motivated. We're going to be, have a desire to serve you. Lord, there may be someone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. May they, may they understand that that last verse that we read, talking about your patience and talking about your long-suffering and talking about your mercy, uh, Lord, that's what caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross. It was because of his love and his long-suffering and his mercy and his care and his compassion. Father, I pray that, that uh, anyone that might be here without Christ might see their need of trusting you as Savior and, and come to you today. We ask God that as saved people that we would be motivated by the right stuff. Uh, Lord, there's a lot of things out there that can discourage us. There's a lot of things out there that, that are intended to stop us. But Lord, if we have some internal motivations... God, we won't quit. We'll be steadfast. We'll be immovable. We'll abound in the work of the Lord. And that's the desire that you have for us. That's also a desire we ought to have for ourselves. Bless this invitation. Speak to hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.